welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Thursday deep dive episode on Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer and I'm here with Ryan Henderson. As always, we do not have Ian Gray on the show today. He's not joining us over Zoom. He's in the midst of his, we'll call it intense internship at uh, the investment bank. So he's working long hours. We might not have him every episode this summer, but don't worry, he will be back in the future. Uh, We're talking global e-online today. This was recommended for us to check out by who? Feroldi? Brian, Brian Feroldi. He said check out. Would like to. I don't he said like the we're we DM'd and he said he liked the business. Uh, he said it's worth checking out. It was kind of a response to one of my tweets saying that I haven't found any home runs in a while, um, and he was just naming off a few companies he liked. So globally, um, not a recommendation by him. I should say that disclosure, I guess, uh, but something for us to look at. But before we get to that. Sponsorship alert, 7investing. Their new picks come out tomorrow. Well, the day you're listening, I guess. So July 1st, uh, we just had Max Chatsko on the show. Uh, and if you've listened to that, you probably already subscribed because uh, he he was exceptional. He, His expertise is, is it's strong. Yeah, Definitely yeah. has an edge in, uh, I guess, clean energy, biotech, that kind of stuff. The, st- the over- underlooked, I guess, parts of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else? So use our code CCM, yeah, use get $10 our, off. Yes. Use our code CCM, get $10 off your first month trial the service. I mean, it's great. You're going to get research from all different types of industries, give you idea generation for stocks to add to your portfolio. All right, Ryan, do you want to introduce global E online? I'll say first, we were discussing this tough name. Oh, they gosh. may need a rebrand. It sounds like a nineties. Um, IT service. Yeah, Global E Online is the official name. Uh, that's ripe for change. I don't know. I mean, it's impossible to fit into a sentence properly. Yeah. Uh, but their mission statement is to make global e-commerce border agnostic. They say, "Go global, be local." It's actually kind of nice to see a mission statement that isn't like we're changing the world. Uh, I felt like this was uh, honestly a strong S one or F one. I guess is what they had to report. Um, and they just recently went public. So, but basically what they offer is a range of solutions for merchants that help them increase their international sales. So uh, merchants sign up for one of two offerings. It's either Global E Enterprise or Global E Pro, and then pay Global E various fees based on their transaction volume. So revenue should grow in line with gross merchandise volume, assuming the rates stay steady. but for context, some of the solutions that are included are native website languages. So uh, marketing messages and uh, checkout come in the preferred language of the shopper. So if you're thinking about that, it's like if you're in the U.S., it's not you're not going to get some uh, Italian language on your website. You're going to get English, uh, assuming that they use something like this. And then localized currency pricing. So they adjust prices based on the shopper's geography. They have over 100 different currencies. 
that they use differing payment methods. So over 150 to choose from pre-calculating import duties and tax remittances, which is really tough. So they're just basically trying to reduce as much friction for the merchants as they can. They do that for over 170 different destination markets. If you remember when we talked about Avalara or Avalara, uh, cross-border uh, sales are very difficult tax-wise. Um, and very difficult for merchants to track. So anything that can, that can help on that is really helpful. But if I'm not mistaken, they use third-party apps, right? Uh, so, okay, yes and no. I kind of tweeted something out when I was trying to research the company, like why are they a competitor to Shopify? Why isn't Avalara like with them? Uh, and I think that they do stuff for enterprises on their own. So this is like Forever 21 is kind of a big company that they – uh, brag about being a partner with Global E Online, but that partnership with Shopify and I believe Big Commerce as well. Well, I don't know when the Big Commerce one started, but the partnership with Shopify started this April, and it's with it goes on the Shopify App Store. So, if you're already with Shopify, you can utilize Global E Online's tools, uh, but you you know you have to pay for it separately. Okay, does that make does that make sense? So yes. it's like a way for them to access the smaller merchants, which would be really tough for them to do. But as far on their as own. as far as the tax remittances or uh, import calculations, do you know if that's done natively by them or can they access Avalara through their uh, service? I was merchants? confused. I was confused. I, I bet if you're on Shopify or any other one of these places, you can use either. But they didn't mention Avalara in their F1 at all. There okay. wasn't one word of them. So to be honest, I'm not really sure. I was a bit confused on that part because it seems like they're competing a yeah. bit. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know. Um, and then they also offer delivery services. So you can choose sort of from their fulfillment network, which ones uh, are optimal for you. And then they have native language return processes as well. So just adjusting the language for uh, returns. Uh, but an example that I would use is if, if, if it's not clear what the company does, let's say an Italian-based shoe seller or something like that has set up an online store using Shopify. They can sign up to Global E, let's say Global E Pro, and then they get the shopper, let's say comes from the US, then stumbles across their shoes online. He goes to the website and the website language is converted to English. The prices are displayed in dollars and the overall shopping experience is just much more frictionless for the shopper, which obviously should convert to higher sales. Um, and so that's kind of the customer value prop from the merchant side. Is that all kind of a clear makes definition? Sense. Yeah, definitely makes sense, yeah. And then I'll get into the history. There wasn't a whole lot, but the company was founded in 2013 by Amir Schlachet. I'm probably saying that wrong, I apologize. And Shahar Tamari and Nir Debi uh, in Israel. Within three years, they reached 50 million in gross merchandise volume. For reference now, I think they're north of 700 million. Um, and they launched in the US in 2017. They do have financial backing from Shopify, but they also have it from several Israeli venture capital firms. Well, yeah, we'll talk about how Shopify kind of finagled their way into here. Um, it's, but they're yeah. like a recent, they're a recent partner. Yeah, so a month before going public, Shopify and Global E initiated a partnership where the two entered into a warrant agreement, which would allow Shopify to purchase up to 19.6 million shares. Seven days later, Shopify partially exercised that option and bought almost 8 million shares. So fully executed, it would make them one of the largest shareholders, but not the largest, I don't think. Um, and they went public in May or Global E did. So that deal was done right before IPO. Yeah. And then just for reference, for people that are thinking like, all right, how many merchants are actually using Global E right now? It's only 440. 
Uh, so they're really going for the enterprises currently. With the Shopify one, it's probably a lot higher. I think that number might be up in Q1, but yeah, that was it, based on the F1 number or the end of 2020. Yeah, it can't be much higher. The number, uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, the number was still in the 400 range. So that Shopify partnership, while it could add a ton of merchants, uh, you know, it's still in the really, really early days. Um, I'll go through the industry and the competition. So the company estimates that its cross-border e-commerce opportunity is going to be $736 billion by 2023. I kind of throw my hands up to that number. It's like, well, yeah, sound, you know, it's a large market opportunity for sure. I don't know how, you don't really need the exact number, but, you know, instinctually the niche of this e-commerce industry. So, you know, within e-commerce, which is growing pretty fast and then cross-border e-commerce as a subset of that is probably growing even faster. And I would guess is gonna grow rapidly over the next next decade. Um, they outline some competitors in the F1. So there's other platforms, which, you know, would be Shopify or Big Commerce or Wix. And there's a few others. They're kind of frenemies with Shopify at this point. There's social networks uh, that they outline as partnerships as well. These more open marketplaces. Uh, you could toss in Etsy and eBay as well. And then they partnered with Facebook to kind of mitigate that risk or maybe, I don't know, it maybe wasn't to mitigate the risk, but they are partnering with Facebook. And then there are in-house solutions. So for example, someone like Amazon doesn't need global E. They will just do it themselves, but that's probably, you know, only a few of the largest merchants in the world. Yeah. And there's also smaller niche alternatives. I believe there's like language changing, uh, like ones for particular offerings, not the whole set of solutions that global E provides, but more niche alternatives. Um, so there is competition. They're not alone in the market. But I'll get into uh, management and ownership. So each, and this is typically Ian's part, so I'm kind of covering that. But each founder is an executive. Amir Shloshet, once again, apologize if I'm butchering that, is the CEO. Shahar is the COO. And Nir is the chief marketing officer. Each of them owns about 4.5% of the shares outstanding. Pretty solid. Uh, aggregate compensation to executives was around 2.4 million in 2020. Not too crazy. Obviously, there's no need for crazy compensation given that each executive owns more than 4% of the shares outstanding. Uh, and then they had several funding rounds prior to going public. I think they reached a Series E round. Uh, and so there's a lot of global VC firms that were participating. Some were, one was from Luxembourg. I think they were the largest. And then there was an Israeli-based one as well. So they've amassed, those VC firms have amassed a large chunk of ownership. And then a lot of them have representatives on the board of directors, uh, but the lockup agreement with the underwriter states they can't sell until 180 days after the offering. Looks like that starts in November, if I was basing it off the May IPO. Um, so kind of expect some selling given that so many, so much of the ownership is from VCs. Uh, and then the CEO kind of passes the gut check. I watched a few videos with him talking. He seems competent. He seems focused. Uh, he also holds a degree or a master's in electrical engineering from Tel Aviv University and bachelor's degrees in mathematics, physics, and computer science. So academically, he kind of checks out. Uh, yeah, I guess that's all for management. You want to get valuation. Yeah. And they're based in Israel. If you couldn't tell, yeah. you know, tell by the names and all the mention of Tel Aviv uh, valuation, right? When I was looking it up, market cap is about $8.8 billion. Ticker is GLBE. Uh, I will just give out one number here and that is the trailing price to gross profit. And it is 202. And that's not a typo. So, uh, 
no if ands or buts here. This is a really premium valuation at the moment. Um, if they can keep up the Q1 gross profit growth, that forward price of gross profit will come down to 76. Although, unless they see really strong margin expansion, the full year revenue outlook implies it won't keep up with that growth, but it'll still be pretty strong. And I'm sure Ryan will get into that. Um, on top of this, Shopify still owns that war those warrants that Ryan mentioned that will further dilute shareholders. And then options outstanding equate close to $1 billion and further dilution at the current share price. Now that might've changed a lot during the IPO, but I, I assume all, there was a lot of them that hadn't been, that weren't exercisable. So it, will, it won't just be at one time, it'll be over the next five, 10 years or whatever. But you know, there's at the current stock price, there's about $1 billion in further dilution from stock options or RSUs to employees. And most of these looking at the average exercise price are not going to be or are going to be exercised unless the stock falls 90% or more. So, yeah. you know, worth noting, it was shares were down 7% this morning when we were recording this. Uh, so, there, there we go. There we go. It's a little, it's a little cheaper at least. Yeah. I'll get into the earnings. So gross merchandise volume in the first quarter was up 133% to $267 million. Uh, revenue and Keep in mind that's that's quarterly. They were at seven hundred something million in GMV for twenty twenty. Revenue was forty six point two million. That's a much higher take rate of GMV than I would have thought. That was up one hundred thirty four percent year over year. Like I said, kind of in line with GMV. And that's the, the fulfillment movie. stuff, but it's lower margin. Yeah, uh, most of it came from fulfill fulfillment services revenue, but there was. Uh, it's not like 90%. I believe it was probably around 60% of overall revenue. Uh, but gross margin was 33.3%. Net loss of 1.7 million. They had negative 20 million in operating cash flow for the quarter. But this is a company that has demonstrated profitability profitability before. So in 2020, they had 21% operating cash flow margins. I'll, I'm going to say that that's not that was all working capital and accounts payable stuff. I don't. I don't think that one was repeatable. If you look at their gross margins, but but they have been cash flow positive each yes. of the last three years. Either way, they have been cash flow positive. But I would not expect twenty one percent operating cash flow margins yeah. um, going forward. Yeah, and the guide. I'll get into this, but the guide for a little under ten percent adjusted EBITDA margins for this year. Uh, but so I guess you could say break even. Uh, net dollar retention rate of one hundred seventy two percent. Worth noting that this is taken by dividing, so it's gross merchandise volume divided by the preceding gross merchandise volume from the same cohorts. So it's not necessarily revenue, although gross merchandise volume and revenue should grow in line with one another. Um, and then gross retention, which is basically giving you a churn figure, was 98%. So it's really sticky, and it seems like they're going after probably larger merchants. It's not yeah. smaller ones that are churning all the time. Uh, and then as far as current year guidance goes, they're expecting just over 1.2 billion in gross merchandise volume and around 210 million in revenue. And then, like I said earlier, a little under 10% adjusted EBITDA margins. So growing fast, but obviously uh, premium valuation there too. Yeah, and that churn number looks good, but I would check in the F1 and look at what they're using to define that. It was insanely complicated. Just from their GMV number, they didn't use just GMV or anything from the quarter. They used what they call, quote, total seasonality adjusted annualized GMV. Now, I have no idea what that means. I'm sure churn is good, but it sounds like 
it, it might be not a real number. I, I dug into it a little bit. It is very complicated, but sure, figure it out. But it is. I think they make it sound more adjusted than it is. I think they're just doing that for simplicity purposes on their end. Uh, churn did look minimal. Yeah, that's something you'd probably expect. There's probably strong lock in here. I'll hit balance sheet quick. Really simple. Raised $375 million in the IPO. That would give them about $425 million if you take the cash balance from Q1. Extremely light balance sheet. I mean, they have no big liabilities outside of funds payable, operating leases, all that you know standard stuff you're going to see. And those are minimal as well. Uh, no large assets either that shareholders really need to worry about. I mean, it was all cash and some receivables, small amount of property and equipment, and then a few line items. Intangibles. Stuff that it, yeah, I mean, the intangibles aren't on there. I mean, the uh, the the balance sheet, yeah, the liabilities was basically just a few things they're going to owe their uh, counterparties. Uh, nothing, I mean, there's nothing even to worry about. It's more of like, all right, does this software have the potential you think? Yeah, and I think there were seven, uh, they're headquartered in Israel as well. Uh, and it sounds like there's some operating lease stuff. That's probably the biggest liability. Yeah, I mean, it, it was tiny. Either way, I guess I'm referencing that to the market cap. So I guess versus how much money they're actually bringing in since the valuation is so high, maybe it's not tiny, but yeah, it wasn't that large. Um, all right, let's take an ad break and then we'll talk, you know, product experience, highlights and lowlights, and then go over some of the bull case, bear case, all that good stuff. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Next up, we're going to have product experience, anecdotal evidence. I don't really have any. Um, haven't really shopped internationally, so I'm not really sure that... You know, I don't have any personal experience with that problem of that, you know, the difficulty of all that stuff, but it, I, I assume it's, it is really tough. Yeah. Know? I mean, if I see a website or a retailer in a different language, I'm not going to waste my time. I will probably just sign off. I'm not going to, sometimes there's like Google translate that is offered on there, which is nice, but there's still lapses in that. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes the descriptions don't exactly make sense. Uh, so yeah, usually it's a major turnoff on the shopping side. Uh, but as far as product experience for me, yeah, I've never used it from the merchant side. There were some good reviews, but keep in mind, there's only about 440 merchants at, at the end of 2020. So probably not going to be too many sort of positive testimonials there since there's just not a huge customer base. Uh, but the gross retention number and then the sales conversion uh, statistics that they tout should kind of give you a glimpse at how valuable the product is. Yeah, for sure. All right. Future growth opportunities. What do you have? Um, so uh, I was going to let you go first and obviously expanding on their product offering is important, but that's kind of above my pay grade to know what the next merchant solution needs to be. That's. I mean, you could say expanding to more countries. They're only in US, Europe, UK, Israel right now. You know, the more countries is kind of one of those... Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a network effect, but the product gets more valuable if they can get to like 200 countries instead of 30. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then as far as what they actually offer merchants, I'm not sure. Uh, that's if they've found something or if I found something, uh, they probably already implemented it. But 
I think I'm going to go with adding additional partnerships. So Shopify is obviously the most popular e-commerce hosting platform, but there are other companies in there as well. I think Wix and Squarespace are the ones that come to mind. Uh, so kind of widening the top of the funnel there makes sense to me since these platforms are where merchants spend most of their time. That's sort of the dashboard for them. I think uh, kind of meeting the customers there is probably the best place to go. Yeah, for sure. And that's my future growth opportunity. They have the partnership with Shopify just announced this spring, like we mentioned, and is why Shopify owns those warrants now. And it opens up globally to a ton of smaller customers. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they Shopify has at least a million merchants uh, using its service and possibly closer to 2 million. I don't have the exact numbers, but that's just a huge potential, and we'll say it's potential, not guaranteed, influx of new merchants to join Global E. Um, but the only question is who, you know, who has the leverage, who got the better deal? Is it Shopify or Global E, or is it going to be both? Because I really think, you know, Global E is clearly going to be giving up some margin here with Shopify. Shopify gouged them with those warrants. I mean, smart, really, you know, smart move by Shopify. Uh, and globally is kind of at the mercy of them because they're the most powerful platform in e-commerce. You know, who, I don't know, who, who, who do you want to bet on Shopify or globally? I mean, maybe they'll both do well, but I, and it clearly will open them up to more customers, but I, you know, you got to think, all right, what are the, what are the net benefits uh, of this partnership? I would just gut instinct. I would think that the partnership's a good idea and it's almost a vote of confidence I guess, for shareholders that Shopify is a shareholder as well there. Yeah. And it's something that if they're a partnership, you can flip it around the other way. If Shopify, as large as they are, as many developers as they have, if they don't want to build this themselves, it's kind of like Avalara, where the product is too complicated. They'd rather just outsource it. It would take too much time. Globally has already built that up. You know, there's two sides of that coin, but the dilutions there. I hate dilutions. So, uh, all right. Highlights and lowlights. What do you have? Here? Customer value prop seems really high. They're, it definitely seems like they're reducing friction for the merchants um, and the sales conversion. Uh, I imagine that it really helps boost it just thinking as a shopper there. Um, and then cross-border e-commerce has grown at twice the rate of domestic e-commerce. Um, and it's expect, expected to continue outpacing domestic for years to come. Uh, and then as far as gut check with the management, they seem really competent as well. Honestly, this company checks just about every box minus, I guess, susceptibility of where they are in the marketplace. So uh, I would just think that some of these larger website building and hosting platforms or even like Amazon could build some sort of competitor or could replicate a product. Well, I would, now it's a bit out of my pay grade. I don't know this, but I would assume that Amazon has this tech, uh, but they just keep it for themselves. Yeah. and Or for the people on FBA. It does seem, it's kind of like the Avalara conundrum where it seems weird that they haven't built this or haven't tried to build it. Maybe yeah. that's a testament to the product or testament to Global E. Um, and then also it's just worth noting, I guess lowlights, there are alternatives. It's I know we're not supposed to talk about valuation and lowlights, but it's getting priced like they're the only player in the market. There are alternatives. Also, when you think about, I mean, they're getting $212 million in revenue from 440 merchants, let's say. That's their expected current year. It feels like this really only applies to the big, big merchants. So I wonder yeah. how valuable that Shopify partnership really is. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, and it may be because as a small merchant, they never had the chance. So there's a world where you know global e just totally takes off on Shopify, and that would be huge for them. But you know, time will tell. Because when people want access to that stuff, and if they can get the fulfillment done, everything like that figured out, I think that would be huge. But you know, time will time will tell. And it's kind of like you said the the, the you know, the stock is pricing it like that's already been accomplished. I just worry that maybe the smaller merchants don't have the ability to spend on something like Global E. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I wonder what their because, price point is. I mean, 440 mer- – well, even though it's – that's what I don't understand is it's transaction or volume-based. Uh, it's volume-based. It's volume-based. But yeah. I just don't understand why they only have 440 merchants. It's not like this is something no one's – Obviously, there's kind of merchant referrals, network effects there. Yeah, um, that, that number seems a bit low, but I mean, you can't complain. They're growing revenue at, at 100% you know, year over year. So it, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Generally, not a lot of low lights as far as business goes. No, definitely not. Uh, highlights for me, they are solving a really, really complicated problem that apparently not even Shopify or Facebook want to tackle itself. So that's an indicator that they're providing a ton of value to their customers, at least to me um, as an outsider, uh, large market opportunity ahead of it. I mean, they're not going to get 736 billion in GMV overnight. And remember that GMV isn't a financial. So they're, you know, they have a large take rate, but it has to go down to revenue and their margins are very low right now. They're expanding, but you, you got to look at gross profit. Um, Lola, that, that comes into the low lights for me. They are low margin. They are an arbitrage play in a sense that is relying on things being complicated. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of talk and it may never happen about, um, gosh, what is it? You know, those the tax remittances, the, the remittances, the, and this is the concern I had with wise, which was the, the IPO that the company that owns TransferWise is, you know, they're relying on global finance being incredibly complicated, built on these legacy systems. If say, I don't know, crypto or whatever solves it, or they make those, what are they called? The central bank, digital currencies, stuff like that. And everything turns frictionless and it's basically all solved when everything changes. Now, I don't know how the likelihood of that happening is, but it really takes away this arbitrage that they're playing. Maybe that's totally wrong, but I think there's a risk here. Yeah, in that sense, there's a big, there's a decently sized left tail risk. And then they have major customer and partner concentration worries. I forget the number in the F1, but I think their largest customer had 18% concentration. And then you could see Shopify being, you know, a huge part of their, their revenue. Yeah. All right. Uh, bull case, bear case. You want to hit your bull case first? Yeah. You know, looking at the valuation, I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that you need to be underwriting 20x sales growth from these 2020 levels for this to make sense at all. Now, maybe that can happen. Yeah, could be possible. Uh, I, I, like I said, there is a world where Shopify just opens the floodgates and then 10x revenue. I don't know how likely that is to happen. I don't know how much you want to bet on that, but the potential is there. And I think that's, that's really what you have to be focusing on. Can they just get compound revenue at 100% for a long, long time? Yeah, that's similar to my bull case is that growth persists. These new partnerships maybe spur an acceleration in adoption for the product, um, especially from smaller merchants. And they're able to, uh, what they offer is differentiated from any other offering. 
um, and people yeah. can't replicate it because it's too complicated. Yeah. Um, in that world, then yeah, you're probably it's probably going to be a valuable business in the future as well. But that gets into the bear case, which is valuation currently. And I'll just go and go ahead and hit mine. Uh, there's if you get some slowed growth or if you get multiple compression, it's hard to imagine getting uh, any tremendous return given the current valuation. I mean, you have to, you, you look at like, okay, even at a super premium free cash flow or earnings multiple at say 40 X, just run the numbers through of how, what you're implying there based on a trailing price to gross profit of 202. We, yeah, we talked about it this week. Um, the, there was a list of the top 50 uh, returns of the last 15 years or companies with higher than a 20% rate of return. And only two of those 50 uh, had a sales multiple above 10. Um, it's you, you, you just, you price in a lot of growth, um, especially, I mean, 202 times gross profit, obviously that's the trailing number that should compress. Um, that's a steep price to pay. There's no way around it. Yeah, and I'll just mention that the average gross profit multiple is, um, gosh, what would it be? I think it would be like, I don't know, six, seven, or eight for the market on average if the sales multiple is at like two or three. So, yeah. you know, that's, you're paying up. Uh, bear case for me is the same. I mean, it's purely, business looks solid and really compelling. I mean, but this feels like a dot-com bubble stock, to be honest. Uh, the multiple is, it's so high. I, I wrote absurd, but I don't want to say absurd. It's really high. I can't focus on anything else. It, maybe it's blocking me from seeing a great business, but it scares me. And I, I don't know if there's that risk of just not 95% downside, maybe, you know, if they yeah. can't execute, they, yeah, there's nothing else to say there. Yeah. And that gets into more or less interested, which for me, I'm going to go there. I am, I am more interested as in it's going in the watch list. Yeah. Um, but it's going to need serious multiple compression for me to take any action on it or be more interested. Um, I guess to be a good investor, you have to get good at saying no for now, uh, and that's what I'm doing with this business. Yeah, I'm in the exact same boat. Definitely going on the watch list. It's a compelling business. Their numbers look great. They're they're showing pretty good efficiencies from a financial standpoint because even with the low margins that I was concerned about, they're generating cash. I mean, I like that a lot, but man, Manage, management checks out. Big management time. checks out. A lot of stuff checks out here, and it's definitely going on the watch list. I'll be tracking, you know, and watch list kind of means like, all right, you track to see how their earnings do. You might not take a whole look into the conference call or something like that. Just be like, all right, what are the headlines numbers doing? All right, what are the stock trading at? But man. It's going to need, uh, okay. I, I, yeah, we, we've discussed it. It needs a big change in the stock price. Um, but yeah, that's going to do for, for this episode. Stock for next week, uh, Ian's turn. So we'll let him do it. I don't know if. So we're going to say, we're not going to say one. Uh, yeah. And then if he grabs one for next week, if not, it'll be a surprise. So check back in uh, mm -hmm. next Thursday. Yep, for sure. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you to Seven Investing. Check out their picks. I mean, it'll be out today, so perfect timing. Uh, remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.
Thank you.